This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. The Florida legislature is once again trying to decide what to do with our 45-year-old no-fault automobile insurance coverage law, more specifically, how to handle the persistent fraud that keeps increasing, and with it, automobile insurance rates. Our no-fault system goes by the name of PIP, which stands for personal injury protection. No matter if you're rich or poor in Florida, if you want to drive on our streets, you're required to purchase PIP coverage, which includes $10,000 in medical benefits if you're injured and gives you lost wages if you can't go back to work right away. Bills currently before the legislature would repeal the PIP system and replace it with a requirement that drivers instead carry minimum bodily injury protection, we call it BI, of $25,000 per person and $50,000 per incident, and $10,000 if you run into, say, a storefront in downtown Fort Lauderdale and crack all the glass. It covers you for damaging that property. Con men who stage auto accidents and crooked health care providers who inflate or just plain make up medical bills for insurance companies to pay are partly to blame for this problem of rising rates in, prop in personal injury protection coverage. Other times, insurance companies are blamed for acting in bad faith and trying to unjustly deny paying a motorist claim. But some also blame so-called PIP lawyers who are manipulating the bad faith doctrine in both PIP and BI cases to win big legal settlements from insurance companies. Any reforms by the legislature here in Florida and in other states facing the same dilemma, they say, must include a bad faith remedy or changes. That's our focus today on the Florida Insurance Roundup. Joining us, two lawyers on opposite sides. First, J.D. Underwood. He represents those filing these insurance claims. He's an attorney with Florida Advocates Law Firm of Dania Beach, and he represents plaintiffs such as medical providers who pursue insurance companies for fees that they believe they are owed. J.D. was a contributing author of the manual dealing with Florida Motor Vehicle No-Fault Law, or PIP, which is the standard in the industry. And he also serves on the other side of the table as general counsel for a responsive automobile insurance company. His past work has included training insurance companies on the claims process and PIP law and guiding them to avoid the mistakes that could lead to costly lawsuits. Welcome, J.D. Thanks for having me, Lisa. And with us today also is David Bronstein. He's the managing partner with Bronstein and Carmona in Fort Lauderdale. He represents insurance companies and has been practicing insurance defense for 30 years. His practice focuses on a full spectrum of insurance matters with an emphasis on suspicious insurance claims and automobile negligence and general liability matters. David, thank you for joining us on Florida's Insurance Roundup. Thanks for having me, Lisa. You're very welcome. Gentlemen, you two have served on opposite sides of court cases for many years with different perspectives. Let's go to J.D. J.D., what is bad faith? What kinds of actions by an insurance company constitute bad faith? Bad faith in Florida is, in general terms, is when an insurance carrier takes an action that's against their own insured. So if I'm insured with an insurance company and I have $10,000 in bodily injury coverage, for example, um, I injure someone to the tune of 50000 in damages. That insurance company is supposed to act on my behalf and 
seek a resolution to the damages claim from that third party. And they do that by generally, if the damages are that high, they would tender that $10,000 in damage to the person claiming the injury. And they would try to do that in good faith. They would try not to act in bad faith, meaning that they would do it timely. They would ask for a release on my behalf so that I wouldn't owe that difference of 40000 And so what happens is, if my insurer doesn't tender that 10000 against that 50000 in damage, there is a provision in Florida law which would allow uh, that hurt individual to pursue, or I could pursue, it's my right, to pursue my insurance company for full damages so that they might have to pay over the 10000 all the way up to the 50000 in damage. Now remember, my insurance company only collected a rate for 10000 in coverage. But if it's found that they acted in bad faith, they weren't timely in paying out the amount, they didn't evaluate the claim properly, etc., then they could be on the hook for the entire amount of damages, the full 50. Often in legislative circles where I travel, we hear that only a few cases actually go into the courtroom and that bad faith is a way to uh, put an economic gun, if you will, at the head of the insurance company to reach settlement. How often do these cases go to court, and is that the truth, or is that fiction? So I would say that it is unusual for them to go all the way through the court system. That doesn't mean that it's so unusual for payment beyond policy limits to occur. So uh, I would say that maybe 10% of BI claims could result in payment greater than the uh, available benefits under the policy, meaning that someone challenged the insurance company and said, hey, ladies and gentlemen, you acted in bad faith because you didn't tender that 10000 and so we're going to pursue you for greater than that. And, and, you know, they send what's called a time limit demand, and they say, hey, you've got to pay this within 30, and if they don't, then you might pursue them for the full amount of damages. So does it happen a lot? No. The risk for the insurance carrier is that if you go all the way to trial on the bad faith issue. So you got to establish the damages first. So I got to prove that 50,000 was actually the damage amount and then once I've done that, then I can pursue the insurance company for that full amount. Insurers look at it and they say, "Okay, it's going to cost us so much to litigate this issue. Would you take 25?" The plaintiff may say, "Okay, there's some risk uh, I may only get the 10, they're offering me 25, maybe I should take it. So that's where the negotiating and settlement resolution comes in prior to going all the way to trial. Thank you for those answers, J.D., and it, you've set us up to understand the process and how it may happen from a practical basis. David, you're on the other side of J.D. often, and you know we make sure that during this litigation uh, scenarios that we all can remain civil and friends, so I appreciate you being on this podcast and, and listening to J.D.'s explanation. What do you see as the trend in bad faith suits in Florida? All right, well, first of all, I wanted to address something J.D. said. Neither one of us have access to the data. I think his estimate of 10% bad faith is probably extremely high. That's not to say that bad faith uh, conduct by insurance uh, carriers does not occur. I just 
you know, wouldn't think that it would be as high, but that's a guess on my part as well. Bad faith trends in Florida, it really depends. There are very few suits that get filed that are ultimately meritorious, but there are bad faith suits that get filed, and when they do get filed, they're very, very costly for an insurance company to defend. Even if they prevail, it may cost them more than if they had just settled in the first place. All of these costs, while certainly no one has great sympathy for insurance carriers to begin with, but all of these costs get passed on to consumers in the form of rate increases down the line. And it's just simply to me, if a case doesn't have merit, it's a very inefficient process to resolve a dispute. That said, you know, we don't see very many bad faith filings, but what we do see, and uh, I would not go so far as to call it, you know, the boy who cried wolf, but as JD indicated, I would agree with him very much so. Uh, there are demands alleging bad faith that are used to extract a higher settlement, even beyond what reasonable people might agree a case is worth because, you know, at the end of the day, the insurance company is a profit-driven ent entity is looking towards the bottom line, and they have to pick and choose their battles carefully, and often, just to avoid the expense of defense, they'll pay an extra uh, settlement uh, beyond their policy limit. All of those costs ultimately are borne by the honest premium paying carrier. And I, I see exactly where you're coming from. So who can who is the party that can sue for insurance bad faith and who may be sued? Oftentimes I don't know if our listeners understand who what parties play what role in these suits, if you can explain that to us. Under the current statute, it's Florida statute six two four point one five five. It's called the civil remedy statute, and it says any person can bring an insurance, uh, uh, or a civil action, rather, against an insurer when that person is damaged. Under the way uh, that statute is currently interpreted in the court system, that's not just the policyholder who paid the premium and to whom the insurance carrier owes a fiduciary obligation to act at their best interest when considering a claim, but it also permits assignees, uh, vendors and the like who have accepted assignments to bring a bad faith action. And frankly, I think it clogs the courts. And again, not to belabor the point, but it contributes to excessive litigation, excessive costs that drive up premiums. And interestingly, um, I'm going to play for you a short clip from one of Florida's key insurance regulators, normally very quiet, very conservative. But these regulators are beginning to publicly talk about the problem with bad faith. So you're going to be listening to Chief of Staff of the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation, Belinda Miller, um, and also uh, their general counsel for many years. When last April she addressed the governor and cabinet, they were sitting as what's called the Financial Services Commission that oversees insurance public policy in our state. And she was talking about another um, insurance kind of uh, outlier called assignment of benefits in the property insurance market. And here's what she said about the whole bad faith incident and what and, and her thoughts about it. The real issue here is what's driving those increased losses. It's not that we've had, you know, a huge influx of water. It's that 
you have litigation incentives that give people the wrong incentive. You give them the incentive to bring cases where you might not otherwise do it. So I think you have to look at the bad faith law, which starts out any person can bring an action against an insurance company. It doesn't say any insured. It doesn't say any person to whom the company owes a duty of good faith. It says any person, and it's very broad. So, I mean, the insurance market is all about balance. If the market gets out of balance, you won't have affordability, you won't have availability, and it, it is out of balance in that respect in that the incentives for litigation are in the wrong place. I think that the real fix would be to address that. Um, it is, it's going to fix water claims and other things, but the willingness to touch that statute has not been there, and it's understandable because it looks like an anti-consumer move. If you adjust the bad faith law to make it harder to take a claim, it, it looks like you're doing something that hurts consumers, but you're really not because if you don't do that and investors stop investing and bringing Florida companies into Florida that can take advantage of the reinsurance from Bermuda, then we have less capacity to take losses and to take our hurricane risk in the state of Florida, which is not good for anybody. Uh, so I think that's an important issue and it needs to be addressed, but it can only be done legislatively. J.D., your reaction to Belinda Miller's comments briefly. I appreciate where she's coming from in terms of homeowners and assignments and things like that. I mean, I get it. But really, in the auto side, you know, there's a statutory provision on the auto side, 627-065-112. And, you know, a citing statute is what attorneys love to do. However, here, this is a statutory provision that the legislature said, hey, you insurance companies, you act in bad faith, you do so at your own peril. You don't do so at the cost of consumers. This is a law that says if you as an insurance company pay out monies or incur costs as a result of your bad faith, whether you settle it, whether it goes to trial, you may not use those amounts paid as a basis for a rate increase or how much you charge the consumer for their insurance product. So to me, the bad faith issue when it comes to automobile insurance, if the insurer is acting in bad faith, that's coming out of their profit. It's not getting paid for by the consumer. And David, your thoughts? J.D. is technically correct on the statute. However, an insurance company that has been uh, cited for bad faith and is paying those things out of its own pocket, they have to have the money to continue their operations elsewhere. Insurers, particularly smaller automobile insurers that serve a uh, what is called the non-standard or substandard market. These are generally people with less economic means, uh, frequently do go out of business. Ultimately, that would raise rates to the premium-paying public, but the real driver of the increased costs are not bad faith awards. You know, J.D. and I seem to be in agreement on that. They're few and far between actual bad faith. It is the threat of bad faith, or more particularly, the threat of having to pay defense lawyers to defend bad faith and all the costs attendant to that that drive up costs to everybody. And most of the threats of bad faith come from, I hesitate to use the word players, but we euphemistically call them players, 
that is various vendors who repeatedly bring claims than from actual consumers of the insurance product. That said, to address Ms. Miller's comments, she hit the nail squarely on the head, you know, in the context of what we euphemistically call non-weather-related water claims, which Florida has seen a rash of in the last few years. I mean, that's just a politically correct euphemism, you know, for a cottage industry that has sprung up of people willing to take assignment of benefits in an effort to increase what they're going to be paid as opposed to what's reasonable. This costs everybody money. You know, a few vendors uh, and some of the attorneys who represent them make enormous amounts of money from the system. But yeah, you know, while these select few folks make enormous amounts of money basically doing their arm twisting, at the end of the day, it's the honest consumer who suffers. And somebody with a non-weather-related water loss, i.e. a broken pipe, their house doesn't get fixed any faster. Their house doesn't get fixed any better. It simply gets fixed more expensively and typically with delays caused by vendors who aren't satisfied with any amount paid to them. They always want more. And again, uh, I sound like a broken record. This all drives the cost to everybody. Thank you for that, David and, and J.D. And I think you're right. Miss Miller did give us many pearls to think about, if you will. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, and I know many of our listeners on both sides of this issue, those who have been injured perhaps in an auto accident, those who are paying higher rates, those that blame higher rates because of lawsuits, and those that say insurance companies are making too much money. That's kind of where we are in this debate. I'd like for each of you to leave our listeners with a couple of minutes of your closing thoughts addressing things like what should an insurance company do in terms of their interest for its policyholders? What should they think about, should an insurance company think about when it comes to a bad faith allegation when they say that it's just a simple claim and they did nothing wrong? So, J.D., I'll start with you. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, And, David, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on this with you, but uh, I'll say this. In in terms of what David just said, it, it reminds me often, you know, insurers, plaintiff attorneys, medical providers, uh, water restoration companies, you know, the reality is we're not doing the Lord's work, right? We're all for profits, and there is a pool of money that everybody's trying to get a bite of. The question is, how are you doing it? And are you doing it ethically or unethically? And are you acting in good faith or bad faith? And so when it comes to the insurers, what I would say to them is, look, if I have an injured client who has provided to you their medicals or they've lost a leg or they've uh, had serious uh, issues with damage to their body uh, or possibly death of a loved one, if you have a ten or a $20,000 policy, Come on, you know that you need to be tendering that. And if you don't, you know you're acting in bad faith. And you are taking on the risk of being liable for the total amount of my client's damage. So just do the right thing. Gotcha. And David, last word? Lisa, I would hope that insurance companies in dealing with a leg off case or a death case and what we call short or low liability limits are paying those limits out and fairly evaluating the claim on behalf of their policyholders. The cases where insurance carriers have 
failed to do so are very few and far between. Most carriers, all of the time, or 99.999% of the time, evaluate each claim on its merits and seek to do the right thing. The system is designed to cost insurance companies a lot of money if they don't do the right thing. So simply rational thought in operating an insurance business necessitates paying claims properly. It's too expensive not to do so in that environment. But these insurance companies uh, need to make sure that they're committed to prompt service and better communication. In fact, better communication with the policyholder from the inception of the claims process I think leads to better resolution of the claim both for the insurance company and for the policyholder who sustains a loss. Thank you, David. Um, That's very helpful. In fact, our next podcast is going to be centered around bedside manner for claims adjusters, and maybe you gentlemen can help us with that. And with that, I want to extend my greatest appreciation to J.D. with Florida Advocates Law Firm and Dania Beach. Thank you for joining us today on Florida Insurance Roundup. My pleasure, Lisa. And David Bronstein with Bronstein and Carmona um, in Fort Lauderdale. Thank you for your insightful comments and um, making sure that we all stay on top of things, David. Thank you very much, Lisa. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate. Sounds great. And we'd love to hear our listeners' thoughts on this. You can email me directly at Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. That's Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. And that's it for this week's Florida Insurance Roundup. Thank you for being a part of it. I'm Lisa Miller. Until next time, drive safely. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.